Hello, and welcome to the Libertarian Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, joined, as always, by the Libertarian himself, Professor Richard Epstein, Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution, as well as Professor of Law at NYU and Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. Today, the National Labor Relations Board and the Future of franchises. So, Richard, we've got some action coming out of the NLRB right now, which could make a very big difference in how a big chunk of American business organizes itself. So, before we get into sort of the legal background here, just give us the basics of what the NLRB is trying to do. Well, the basic provision in the NLRB started to be quite innocuous, but turns out now to be quite controversial. It says, in effect, that the right of employees of an employer to form unions and to collectively bargain with the employer is protected under the statute under Section 7. Uh, the definition of employer is employer, and then there are sp specific statutory exceptions like state governments are not covered by the particular act. Uh, but other than that, there is no elaboration of what we mean by an employer. And it's like every word in the English language. There are all sorts of very obvious cases that fall within it. And then there's some deeply controversial cases that may fall outside its scope. And so what's happened is the labor movement, since it can't get anything through Congress, is now making a conscious effort to expand the scope of the National Labor Relations Act by reading the term employer in the basic statute far more broadly than it's been ever read before. Uh, last year, we will, people will recall that there was the question as to whether or not the Northwestern football team, uh, since they were on various kinds of scholarships and payments, whether they were employees who could then unionize against Northwestern. And a fellow down at the kind of regional level said, yes, they could, at which point they had a vote, which is now under wraps, and now this thing is going its way all the way through the system to decide whether or not that will work. Now, that one is not going to go anywhere one way or the other, uh, because even if you were to vote one way, I think all of the players understand that you can't be in a unionized team and hope to compete against state universities whose team members are outside the scope of the National Labor Relations Act. Uh, much more difficult in many ways is the move with respect to the franchise arrangements. Franchising arrangements are very old, but they are now much more common than they've ever been before because what they do is they tend to solve a very difficult business problem of how you integrate two issues. The first of these issues is how it is that you can have a major corporation establish a powerful worldwide brand and assure its consumers that they will get the same kind of product no matter where they go. And the second thing is you have to ensure that the person who's in charge of the local outlet, the franchisee, has sufficient autonomy and independence that he can deal with all of the problems at the local level for which it has the comparative advantage over the employer. And so what happens is the franchise agreements are generally worded in a fashion which says all standards are set by the franchisor, uh, what the thing looks like, what kind of food you serve, what kind of employees you could hire and so forth. And then all the hiring of individual employees is done by the franchisee properly in accordance with the general standard. And if this system is faithfully observed, the traditional rule was that the franchisor was not an employer, only the franchisee was an employer. And the move now, which is being taken inside the NLRB, mainly by the uh, general counsel, this man named Griffin, is essentially to see if they can make McDonald's and every other franchisor into an employee 
into an employer so that if there's something that goes wrong at the franchise outlet level, you can now sue McDonald's or any one of the other major companies. There are about 750,000 of these places. Many of them have 20, 30, 50 employees, and the unions hope that they can push very hard against the management, get them to weaken their resistance against union in exchange for escaping these endless onslaught of suits and thereby establish a new clientele because their base in the private sector has dropped now. Unions basically control just a drop more than, say, 6% of the total employees traditionally understood in the United States. What's the most charitable interpretation of the, the legal argument here, Richard? I mean, is there any legal precedent they can turn to that would give you a, a, at least a wedge to make the argument that it should be the corporation instead of the individual franchise that's considered the employer? Well, what they have done is they've tried to make an argument based upon the notion that they've changed technological conditions which allow a franchisor to exert more effective control over the way in which the franchisee does his business. So they have a kind of a very broad populist appeal of the sort which says everybody knows that the franchisor, which is a big corporation, is in fact the boss because the franchisor dictates to everybody down below what happens. And the theory is that the new means of social control have transformed this from older sorts of relationships. Um, I don't think this is a particularly persuasive argument, and indeed the unions are clever enough in their own ways not to say that it's true in all cases, but only that it may be true in some. And what the general counsel, this man Griffin, did was, of course, was to play the usual game. He said, you know, I'm a real independent expert on this, and there have been a hundred of these complaints lodged, or whatever the number is. I'm only going to say that a fraction of them are good and the others are bad. Um, and so that makes it kind of look like you've got some kind of balance because you're looking at it case by case. But in fact, the other rule was that it's a per se rule that the franchisor is never an employee, employer of the workers who work for the franchisee. And this just opens up the floodgates to thousands of costly litigations to decide what the particulars in this relationship were relative to any other. Uh, so it's a huge transformation. And in my view, and I think it's the view of most people who work in this industry, and I do represent people in this industry, just to be clear about all of this, is that these arrangements are absolute fixtures one way or another in all franchise arrangements that have been like this since the end of the Second World War. The basic dynamics that we have to control the brand and you have to control the plant um, is the same division that it's always been and what the technology tells you is that we're better at making the the enforcement mechanism work, which means that the system is better operated now than it's ever been before, but it doesn't mean that we all of a sudden, as a franchise, or take over the interview process, the promotion process, the penalty process, the wage process, and all the rest of that stuff. So the argument is that the change in circumstances is basically irrelevant to the basic sh shift in in, in, in program that the unions are moving for, which means that this case should be tossed out. We're talking here about collective bargaining efforts in the private sector. In the last few years, we've had a lot of major stories in the news about it in the public sector, whether it's Scott Walker in Wisconsin or what's happening now in Illinois. Taking this as a whole, what do you, what do you make of where unions find themselves at this point, especially in terms of public opinion. It is interesting here that you're talking about an inside game sort of being played through the NLRB and not unions trying to make a big public appeal. It seems that public sentiment may have turned in a significant way in the last few years. 
Well, I think that the unions have lost all elements of being heroic figures in the United States. Uh, the number of workers who want to join unions at the bottom level is much smaller. Uh, one of the things that characterizes modern labor markets is there's a much more rapid turnover in jobs than there ever had been before. People don't go out working for the Ford Motor Company when they're 23 and retire at 62. Most of these people are working for a year or two at most of the job. Many are working many jobs. Many are doing this on a part-time basis to supplement income. Uh, Many are doing it as teenagers and so forth. So they don't have the kind of long-term investment in the workplace that traditional workers did, which makes it much more difficult for unions to organize. On the other hand, it also makes them a more tempting target to organize for two reasons. One, if there's a rapid turnover, the individual workers are not going to take much interest in union affairs or, in fact, in any kind of relationships that are taking place because they think they're going to be gone. And secondly, from the union's point of view, there are two ways they collect money. One is from initiation fees and what is monthly dues. And if there's a high turnover, you get the initiation fees from a lot more people than you do otherwise. And if they leave on a very rapid basis, as they tend to do, it turns out to be worth a huge deal of money. And so what they're trying to do is essentially is to maximize the size of the kitty so they could then turn around and take that money and do more organizing efforts and more importantly, do more political efforts of of one side or another. But I think the resistance is actually going to be quite strong strong on this and the hope that they have is that they keep suing McDonald's and similar franchises. Uh, the franchise all like McDonald's will sign a neutrality agreement or something which says we will not either support nor oppose a union which will make it easier for them to get there. And it will create complete turmoil because divided control over labor relationships between a franchisor who doesn't know what's going on on the ground and a franchisee who has entire equity into this business will create immense frictions which can only work for the worse. So that's the first problem the unions have. Second problem that they have is there aren't any monopolies anymore. This is Long past the day where we're in corporatist America, big companies protected in their territories by government, then dividing the loot with the unions like the old telephone business. Um, You may be able to unionize the McDonald's, but there's a Chipotle down the block and a Subway and a this and a that. And, you know, if you look at things, the... Monopoly, the, the, the McDonald's guy, the old chairman, is gone because people didn't like the way in which you organized the menu. And so if you do organize these people, you're not going to be able to get much by way of increase because the workers will understand that they're at the edge of a knife. And if you start raising wages substantially, it means that the whole operation is going to start to close. So the unions have some serious problems, but if they could kick up enough of a storm, it could be a sufficient change in revenue that they hope will reverse the downward trend that they're facing. I think, in effect, even if they win this battle, it's going to be a big deal because of the chaos that it's going to introduce, and they will make some beachheads, but I don't believe in the end that they'll be able to sort of sweep the boards across the entire industry unless they make things so miserable uh, that the dominant firm decides that it's going to capitulate and force its dealers to do otherwise. They will scream bloody murder because they know the moment that they are now unionized as friends franchisees, their profit picture goes very badly. We have very good evidence that unified control in companies like McDonald's is less efficient than the split system that we now have in practice. Is that is that what we're talking about? You mentioned a, a second ago the chaos that could result. So what does the world look like if the unions get their way here? Are you talking about basically the erosion of the franchise model? 
Yeah, because what happens is, to put it in terms, right now the franchisee is an owner of a business. He has to put in a lot of sweat equity. He has real control over whom he hires, how he fires them. And the difference between a good and a bad franchisee in terms of the way in which he or she runs his business is just enormous. But the moment McDonald's comes in and says, look, we're now a co-employer with you. You screw up. They're going to sue us. We have to tell you what we're going to do. And the guy says, you're going to tell me what to do. Then what's the world am I doing here with my kind of money? And so there's going to be an effort to recalibrate the entire business arrangement. And no matter which way it comes out, it's going to be worse than it is in the current arrangement. One of the things that one has to remember is it takes decades to build up and to fine-tune these arrangements so that they actually work well. And then you throw this huge hammer on top of the thing and smash it. You'll never be able to put the pieces back in a correct fashion. And there'll be back-and-forth recriminations uh, from a struggle that neither of them want. The net effect is there'll be fewer franchises, fewer outlets, higher prices, fewer jobs. I mean, the whole thing essentially is going to be yet another version of how it is that regulation shrinks the pot. And, you know, what's happening here is you're talking about a very successful business model, which has provided millions of jobs to various kinds of people. When you break it, you're going to put in a model which is not going to be as good because it's going to be made by the National Labor Relations Board, which says, we don't think that brand management requires X, Y, and Z. Not that they've ever managed a brand in their life. And so the labor people will start trenching into what were traditionally management functions. And then finally, if this thing starts to get some traction before the board, everybody's going to be marching before Congress. The Republicans would actually pass, pass a statute, I think, which says, if we do the old model, we're not covered by this decisions of the National Labor Relations Board. The president is old reliable for the unions, and he will veto it. Uh, there might even be a chance of it being shall we say, overridden, but you don't want to get to the point where that happens because even if you pass the statute, it's always going to create some compromise and loose ends and it doesn't get you back to the current place, the status quo ante, where things are working about right. People don't like the low wages. Well, nobody likes to have low wages, but if you try to get higher wages given the competitive nature of the market, you're going to get more uncertainty, fewer jobs, and in the end, the workers you're trying to help will share the loss along with the franchisees and, of course, the large capital corporations. All right. Thank you, Richard, and thank you to our listeners. Remember, you can find Richard's weekly column, The Libertarian, by visiting definingideas at hoover.org. And you can follow him on Twitter at Richard A. Epstein. For the Hoover Institution, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution. For more information about our work, please visit hoover.org.